Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine. We invite you to join us as we take a deeper look into the stories and ministries highlighted in Christian Living Magazine. Welcome to Christian Living Spotlight. I'm Sandy Jones, the host of this show and publisher of Christian Living Magazine, a 501c3 nonprofit ministry. This show has been made possible by a generous grant that we receive so that we can come to you each week and take a deeper dive into the stories and ministries you'll find in the pages of Christian Living Magazine. Folks, welcome back. This is part two. Part two. Part two. Steve Bertel, my co-host, my occasional co-host, is joining me again today in studio along with Angela Weeks, who is the founder of the Nampa Family Justice Center. Steve and Angela, thank you so much for being willing to hang in here, come back, let's and doing part two. Of course. Yeah. How are you both doing today? Well, thank you. I'm good. Yeah. So last week we were talking, we kind of talked about your history as law enforcement officer and how you fell in love with law enforcement. I love that. You just it was supposed to be an easy A and then it became your passion, isn't that just yeah, how God works? Absolutely. And and I love that and the stories that you shared. It was you were sharing with us last week that you looked so young when you first got hired on that they, they put you in the in Caldwell School as an undercover officer and I'm thinking, I think she could still do that today. <laughs> Oh, I need to carry you around with me. It's <laughs> like amazingly young. Not, you know, absolutely that joy just shines through you and, and you are an absolute delight. But you and Steve were talking and I'm just going to kind of back off a little bit because Steve just had it down so succinct last week. Talking about how you started, this, the need that you saw for justice. Yeah, because that, that's a fascinating story because you're, you're an Idaho native. You yeah. grew up in Emmett. And as I mentioned last week, you kind of got into law enforcement by accident. So kind of recap that and and for listeners who didn't hear part one, give us kind of the cliff notes of your career of what brought you to the Nampa Family Justice Center. Yeah, I was uh, majoring in criminal justice. Well, accidentally majoring, went on a, uh, took an intro to criminal justice class, went on a ride along, got hooked, <laughs> and um, ended up majoring in criminal justice, did my internship with the city county narcotics unit and the child abuse unit from the Nampa Police Department, and they thought I looked young enough to go back to high school. So then I worked undercover narcotics from that point, got hired, worked patrol uh, as a school resource officer, dare officer, child abuse investigator, and um, really didn't have a lot of education in understanding domestic violence or sexual assault. Probably was harmful to some of the people I served because well-meaning people who don't know what they don't know can, you know, do harm. So I know as a law enforcement officer, I had done some of that, but three cases came into my life of three amazing little girls who inspired me to do things differently. And God sometimes takes the most unlikely people and turns them into vessels for his work. And that's exactly what he did with me. Somebody who didn't understand domestic violence, didn't understand child abuse, or didn't understand sexual assault. And he put me on a path that I could never have known it would turn out the way that it is, but it's uh, the work with the Family Justice Center and creating a facility in our community with the level of collaboration and partnerships that we have for domestic violence and child abuse, sexual assault, human trafficking, elder abuse, and stalking victims is uh, its such an honor to look back on all that we've accomplished and are still accomplishing in our community to serve those needs. Yeah. And, and recap again from last week, 
the story. It's a fascinating story how you, because you had gone down to San Diego yep. to take a look at the Family Justice Center down there. And, and so tell us that story, how, how God intervened yeah. in that sense. So I, the Family Justice Center movement opened in San Diego the year before I went down there for this conference. So it, it opened in October, and I went down in April for the for the conference that the police academy was sending me to because I was teaching domestic violence for them at the time, teaching officers how to investigate domestic violence. Investigations is a better way to phrase that. And I toured the first family justice center that had opened in the country and came back to my hotel room and God woke me up in the middle of the night and just really inspired me with a here's what you need to do. And I had eight pages of a strategic plan written down. Again, just taking everything that he was putting in my mind, in my heart, and just trying to document as much of it as I could. It's funny, one thing I didn't share last week is I fought him on this. God and I have this relationship. (laughs) I remember thinking um, when I started working on the grants related to this, when I came back to the community, I told him, you've called the wrong person. I literally was on my knees in my bedroom begging him to take this vision from me. Please take this, give it to somebody else, give it to somebody else that's well-equipped to do this, that knows how to do this work. 20 minutes of just bawling in my bedroom, please, please, please. And he just stood me up. Literally, he just stood me up. And I've been going forward ever since. Um, You know, he does not... You had a Moses moment. Yeah. He doesn't (laughs) equip the called. He... Or sorry, I said that backwards. He does not... Call the the equipped, he equips the called. And I just had to trust that's what he was doing with me and continues to do with me. And the people he puts in my path and what he's done with his hand over the Justice Center has been amazing. Well, and you've had quite the learning curve because you talked about early on you didn't understand domestic violence and all of that. But, you know, 10 years ago in this valley, the average citizen had not heard anything of, of human trafficking. Right. And, and, we don't know what we don't know. Yes. And so I have worked very closely, as have you, with certain segments of our human trafficking workers, not not the workers themselves, but the rescuers, yes. the people who are coming along and helping. And it used to be that, you know, a victim would be arrested on drug charges yeah. and treated as either a prostitute and or a drug dealer. And come to find out that that's I mean so you've had some really big learning curves and you've taken those learning curves and now you're helping victims from all of these different backgrounds yeah. and the elder abuse you know as we as we all age that's becoming such a big thing too yeah and unfortunately so many of these things overlap when we see human trafficking you know the sexual assault the domestic violence that can occur um that you know the the child abuse that can occur you know when we see domestic violence and then abuse in later life and child i mean it's literally these co-occurring crimes and we we just have to be identifying doing everything we can to educate and identify all of them and providing the best services and support that we can. You know, I just want to I just want to kind of talk about this a little bit for our listeners. Last week one of the things that you mentioned was early on why you you thinking as a law enforcement officer, why don't these people leave? Mm-hmm. And honestly, and and again just because I've worked with several different people and different, you know, we we've worked with Kim Dugan over at the AAFE and different things and you guys have all educated me so well. And their abusers just not physically, well, maybe they do beat them down physically, but emotionally beat them down and convince them that they can't survive without their abuser. Yeah. I mean, there's so much mental cruelty that goes on with some of that. So listeners, if if you've got somebody in your life that you suspect is being the victim of domestic violence, please be patient with them. 
because their abuser is probably convincing them that they just can't survive without them. Yeah, their abusers are creating that sense of reality. A lot of people think about the physical injury in domestic violence cases, and yes, we do see that, but that's not what's at the heart of domestic violence. What's at the heart of domestic violence is somebody's, the abuser's, a desire to gain and maintain power and control over their intimate partner, and they use all sorts of tactics that don't result in arrest. They use emotional abuse and financial abuse and sexual abuse, which does not get disclosed because they think they have to participate in this because they're in that relationship. So, so many things that need to be talked about and educated, which is why I'm a firm believer in taking everything I've learned and sharing it with as many people as I can. Yeah. You don't, again, we don't know what we don't know. And sometimes we just need to know yeah. that. So if if I know someone who I believe is is a victim of domestic violence or needs some of the services that you offer, what is the best way for me to help them? Give them a card, give them a phone number, tell them they don't deserve this. That's amazing. So what is that? Give me that. Let's give out that phone number. We're gonna, I know this is early, but let's start with that. What is the phone number? 208-475-5700 will connect you with the Nampa Family Justice Center. That's that's thank you so mm-hmm. much because because it's it's around us everywhere. So after the Family Justice Center opened there, and things were going great, you, you had years, you had a slew of awards, and that again, you know, I talked last week about there's no cynicism as as you know your law enforcement career might have turned you, but you're also the most one of the most humble people I've ever met. Oh. <laughs> and, and you have a slew of awards. I mean, you guys have made a real difference. I, I do want to ask before we go forward with that questioning, do you have any idea today just off the top of your head, and I'm swinging from the hip here, mm-hmm. how many family justice centers there are in our nation today? Um, I believe there are over 100 in the nation, but they also exist in over 20 countries now, and we're one of the original 15. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. amazing. Congratulations, and thank you. Thank you for being obedient. Thank you. This This show is the result of somebody arguing with God for a year and a half. So, you know, a little less, little less work than an Justice Center, though. So things are going great. You're winning awards. You are mentoring and, lead, and helping to lead that way. But then in 2015, you received some rather serious, devastating news. Yeah, I was actually getting uh, ready for the physical at the Nampa Police Department. I was down at the rec center practicing, you know, push-ups, because that's always the thing I had to work the most on, and experienced some pretty severe pain. And I thought, wow, something's wrong with my shoulder. This is kind of weird. Um, I got three push-ups in, couldn't do any more, came home that night, um, and I, I have a family history of breast cancer, so I knew to do an exam, and I knew this exam was completely different. And I told my husband, I said, something's wrong. Um, and I literally, my doctor had me in the next day, and within a week, um, I literally had my diagnosis of stage two breast cancer. So how did you, how did you handle that news? It was devastating. So I have two, my husband and I, um, we've actually been together uh, for 26 years. We have two kids. And I, I kept thinking, how am I going to tell, how am I going to tell my husband what's going on? He started, you know, I didn't take him to the appointments initially, even though I kind of thought I knew what was happening, but then started, you know, having him come um, that week. And then it's like, how are we going to tell the kids? I remember I decided we need to have a family meeting and we really hadn't had a family meeting before because you know they were one was in um, junior high and one was in high school and I this is how blessed our life it was at the time which was kind of different than the way I grew up my kids later told me they thought our family meeting was to tell them we were going on vacation or we were getting a built-in pool and that, I mean that was kind of that which is great right that's a great my, I grew up with some 
uh, adverse childhood experiences and my kids have not yeah. and this was going to be the first time we were going to face something like this and so I sat down we had the information from the doctor and I sat down and I told them that I had stage two breast cancer. My son actually has, has dyslexia and dysgraphia. He's a total auditory learner. And God so used that in that moment because everything everybody else was thinking, he asked it. And we talked about it and we were honest and we had great conversations around it. I remember after our conversation, he went to the neighbors and he comes home and he says, Mom, I told Wendy you have cancer. And I went, oh, you can't be just running around telling people mom has cancer. So I go to the neighbors and she says, you need to trust your son. She said, he came over. He talked to me separately. He said, I just want you to know if you see my mom outside, she might be losing her hair. Here's why. <laughs> and like walked her through the, all of this. And um, she said, she asked him, well, how are you doing with this, Dakota? And he said, oh, God's got this. Oh, how sweet. How yeah. special. You know, what, what our family learned several years ago through, through our own walk with this is that if you have never been close to someone with cancer, the words stage anything don't mean anything. Yeah. So the fact that, A, you had all of the information and and could explain it so well and well enough clearly that they got it. Yeah. I mean, how old was he at that point? Oh, my gosh. He was in seventh grade. So he fully grasped it. He, yeah. wasn't, he wasn't a little kid. Yeah. And he fully grasped it. And, you know, it is just a huge learning curve. But as you mentioned, your first symptom was pain in your shoulder yeah so you had some restrictions and the nampa police department made some special accommodations they worked with you yeah they were amazing with everything so i when i got diagnosed i remember i didn't want rumors going around like i when i remember going to briefings saying here's what i want you to know and watching their faces like you know when you say you have cancer people look at you like you're dying right there yep. um and that was really hard for me i remember telling the guys quit treating me like i'm different I'm not dying. And they would joke with me about that phrase a little bit later on. They're like, I'm not treating you any different. Um, but they, I went to all the briefings and I told them, I, I told them, this is what I'm doing. This is what's going on. I'm not done working. I was blessed that the department, they worked around all my surgeries and my therapy, my chemotherapy and my radiation. But I literally was able to have chemotherapy on Friday and be back at work on Monday. They, they put That's me on amazing. They, they put me on light duty, you know, so I wasn't having to go out into dirty homes and or or maybe deal with suspects that could you know, physically, you know, put me in more danger and risk my. I want to expand on that, because if you've never been around anybody that's had chemo. Yeah. You don't understand that the, the environment has to be clean because it exposes you and makes you more at risk of infection. Yeah, and so th this isn't just a little thing. This is a really because we we have had to go in and clean family members' homes. We've had a, a few family members who've had cancer and been through chemo, and you just have to go in as a group and just sanitize everything. Yeah. So that's a big thing. Yeah, and they they were just fantastic. They um, one of the things that really stood out to me, and um, it actually caught the attention of local media back then. Is is I I remember when I had to shave my you know when it was it was coming out so it's got to go and I shaved my head and that was a really hard moment for me and it wasn't hard I don't think not so much the vanity side of it it was hard because now people knew yeah. and people looked at me so I'm so sorry for you kind of thing and I struggled with that because I, I kept saying don't feel sorry for me I'm gonna be okay like this is who I am I'm gonna be okay yeah but Gosh, I'd go in the stores and, you know, it's just how people look at you and treat you. My husband walked right into the bathroom right after me 
and he shaved his hair all off. Aww, and he hasn't gone back. He lo- and he looks great with his head shaved. <laughs> and But the police department did something that was, I'm a talker, and it left me speechless. Craig Kingsbury was our chief at the time, and he um, was leaving to go down to Twin Falls to take over the role down there. And he'd asked me, I was friends with him and his wife, Loretta, and we had gone to um, lunch with him and Christy Thiel, who's one of our victim witness coordinators. I thought it was this goodbye lunch with you know all of them. And we are at the Brick 29, and it kind of had this long hallway at the time yep. on the bottom floor that you oh, had to downstairs. walk down. Yep. yep. And so we're walking down, and we're kind of talking, and I, ke- I kept looking out the window. I kept thinking, there's a lot of people outside. I had no clue. And I'm kind of hard to surprise, but I had no clue. And we got closer to the door, and I watched all these people take their hats off. And it was SWAT team members. It was five females from the Nampa Police Department. There were firefighters there. It was patrol officers. And it was detectives. And they'd all shaved their heads. One of them's son was there and she had shaved their heads. And I literally walked around to each of them. They stood in a line. They just stood in these lines. And I just kind of walked around and hugged all of them. And then there was a picture out in front of the building. And then later... There were fire teams and patrol teams who couldn't come because of the shifts they were on. So later they were posting their team pictures. One of our Canyon County prosecutor's office shaved his head and posted his picture. It was, um, you want to talk about being humbled? I, I knew I had relationships with people, but to do that was... You had a lot of love. A lot of love. You had a lot of love. A lot of love. You had loved on a lot of people, and they got a chance to reciprocate that. Yeah, it was a... And it was that support was amazing for me. So you have you you and I share a life verse. Uh, it's, it's Steve, Steve helped me with my notes here today, yes. and, yeah. and I was looking at this, and I was like, "Oh, we share we share the same life verse." Uh-huh. But what is your life verse? Philippians four thirteen. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen. You know what that that actually was my son's life verse first. Huh. That son that I was telling you about, he yeah. said he, he he struggled, you know, with school and education when he was younger. So we would say that to him. Mm-hmm. It was on his door, you know, it was on everything, bookmarks, and over we'd put it above his door. And um, I had no idea how powerful it would become in my life later on. So we have we have notepads that I hand out at events and different things, and that is, you know, and somebody said to me one time. That's on everything. And I was like, that's my life verse. Yeah. yeah. That's, yeah. that's what has carried me through. So I actually much. had a friend who I'd met, at a, she, who's had, um, she actually lives in Indiana. I met her at a conference. I was teaching on sexual assault, and she was a sexual assault survivor. And we've been connected ever since. During my treatment, she sent it to me on a block of wood. She had no idea. She had no, and one of the survivors that I was working with on a case. She had it tattooed on her arm during this time frame. I mean, it was just all over the place, just God reminding me. Isn't that amazing? That's It's amazing how he speaks to us. Speaking of survivors, so today you're a survivor and yeah. you're stronger than ever. Yeah. And so that's that's just amazing. Um, but today you've retired. That's And you didn't retire today. You retired, <laughs> what did you say, three and a half years, three so, years yeah. ago. So yeah. actually, my... Um, August 20th was eight, my eight-year anniversary for my diagnosis and three years from my retirement. I intentionally retired five years after my diagnosis because, you know, they kind of say you're clear at five. You know, that's mm-hmm. that magic number. I mean, I still follow up with all everything that's recommended, but I, you know, those were big moments for me. So August 20th was eight years and three years out from my retirement. That's amazing. And congratulations. Thank you. So today you work at the Nampa Family Justice's aunt. Justice Center, say that fast three times. <laughs> um, 
but also as a law enforcement consultant. Yeah. So I, I'm the Family Justice Center's number one volunteer. I, t- I joke. <laughs> I love that title. I volunteer down there three days a week. Um, but I um, have the privilege to train law enforcement across the state and across the country on the things I didn't know about domestic violence and sexual assault and human trafficking and neurobiology of trauma. I was in northern Idaho all last week training, um, heading um, out next week to do some training, heading to Georgia at the beginning of October. But again, I'm just a firm believer in that if we know what we should be making sure other people know that and you know why why would you not want to share what you've learned that can help people absolutely absolutely i just love your heart i (laughs) absolutely love your heart and it's amazing that you're that the doors are still opening you before we recorded you and i were sharing the uh, you know about the miracle of not a lot of female peers in our industry yes and it's amazing that in what is typically a male-dominated world that that they recognize that we were talking to we were laughing and talking about how we're we're more like one of the guys (laughs) so but i i just i give you great kudos oh thank you so um we have just a little bit of time left i want to circle back around to some of the services actually more more directly the needs you might have Mm -hmm. that our listeners if if they're feeling led to can help with because you provide clothing and food and different things for the victims that you serve, for the people in the communities that you serve. So what are some of the needs of the Family Justice Center that that some of our listeners could help with and where can they where can they access those lists so probably um, what people don't understand is you can't help somebody who in a state of trauma if you don't help with their basic needs so when somebody comes through our doors we don't necessarily you know cook for them but we we if the, we have snacks we have things like the mac and cheese little things that you can warm up Easy in the mic mm-hmm. yeah things yeah. that we can warm up in the microwave um, we have um, fruit snacks we have crackers we have water we have juices if you cannot if somebody comes in hungry you can't expect them to address other things. So we always, on our Facebook page, you're always going to see us putting out our most recent needs. But we will have people who come in who need diapers for their children, who need formula, um, who need, they don't have shampoo, they don't have the ability to brush their teeth, they don't have a warm blanket. We don't have a full closet. We, you know, we have a, a access to grants and things that allow us to give vouchers like furniture or for lots of clothing but we can provide some of those basic things so we can move them into the next process that we're trying to help them with so i would say that following our facebook page and our instagram page for the nampa family justice center are the best way to always know what our current needs are because we do it's not that we want to always be asking but we're always serving so we always have to have the things that we need for our clients that's amazing and your website. Let's talk about that and the phone number again, in case you're interested in learning more about the Nampa Family Justice Center or if you need their service. Absolutely. So first and foremost, that phone number again is 208-475-5700. And then you can go to the Nampa, the city of Nampa's webpage and get a link to the Nampa Family Justice Center, or you can type in Nampa Family Justice Center and it will take you directly to the that page on the city website that will talk about what we do. And it'll talk about ways to get involved, whether it is making donations with the things that we've been talking about, or whether it's getting involved with volunteering, or whether you want to tour and you just want to learn more about what we do. People are always blown away when they actually do the tour. They're like, we had no idea all this was here. Oh, <laughs> it, it was amazing. My, I've been through twice, yeah. and I, I, my head just spun. I was yeah. like, wow. Angela, thank you so much for what you and your team do. It, you are making not just a, a difference today, but 
I believe that you're making an eternal difference in so many lives. And thank you so much. Steve, thank you for joining me. You bet. We're out out of time. I mean, we are way out of time. (laughs) So thank you both. Folks, you can read Angela's powerful story in our current issue of Christian Ling Magazine, available in over 600 locations throughout all of Southern Idaho, or read us online at christianlivingmag.com. This does bring our time to an end for this week. We invite you back next week when we have another special guest in store for you, someone who I promise will encourage you with hope and inspiration. Until next time, God bless. This has been Christian Living Spotlight, an extension of Christian Living Magazine, where it's our desire to deliver faith, hope, encouragement, and perhaps a new perspective about God's love to our listeners and readers as we showcase the hands and feet of Christ at work in our community and beyond. For more information on today's program, the magazine itself, or to subscribe, go to www.christianlivingmag.com or search Christian Living Magazine on Facebook for an uplifting start to each day. Christian Living Magazine is free to pick up in over 600 locations throughout Central and all of Southern Idaho. Our mailing address is Christian Living Magazine, P.O. Box 867, Meridian, Idaho, 83680. Or you can email us at christianlivingmag at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week.